Hello and welcome back to the Pressing Matters podcast. The Premier League season has kicked off, so we're here to talk about it. I'm Sam Hyde, I'm joined as always by Toby Pisevere, hello. Hello Samuel, uh, the ball is rolling, as they say. Literally. But it actually is rolling, so do you like what I did there? Yes, I like it. Game week one is done. Game week one is done, Sam. Game week one is done. Uh, we're just going to go through what's happened uh, in the past week. Sorry, if you think back to a week ago, kicked off with Burnley Man City. Yep. First sign we got of the champions, are they going to be as good this year? They they beat Burnley 3-0, who obviously... Oh, I thought you meant the championship champions, sorry. Um, well, it was... Hey. It was the Champions Champions Cup of sorts. Um, yeah, it was the champion. It was the English Champions Cup. So. Yeah, the most prestigious cup. Uh, Maybe they should do that for the opening game every year. The the newly promoted champions from the, of the championship should be thrown in at the deep end and have to first game play Premier League champions. It's a ridiculous suggestion. Onwards. Uh, uh, I, I was thinking maybe like a Johnson's Paint Trophy versus a uh, League Cup winner trophy. Wow, that's real Conference League uh, vibes. Also, just quickly while I remember that, why didn't the Conference League winner get to play the Europa League winner for the right then to play the Champions League winner? But that's just a little thing. That's true. Uh, it's a scandal really, isn't it? Uh, but that's not important. We're not here to talk about that competition. Uh, so yeah, Visa Company was back in the Premier League against his old club, and we got to see kind of how Burnley would do. It's kind of the most hyped Championship team. They've got like the most interesting system, I think. They t- tell me about Burnley. They were they were. They were yeah, great. I mean they're quite they're quite f- they're quite fun, aren't they? But sort of fun with a mixture of industry in there. Um, I liked the look of Kill. I liked the look of that Koliosho, who's like 18. So, um, look, they, they were aggressive, they were defending on the front foot, they were entertaining. Um, I think Vincent Company came out and said himself that he didn't think things would click until a few weeks in because they had a lot of lone players last year, they've got a lot of new players in, um, and they are thrown in the deep end. I think for a lot of people, they are the the team to stay up out of the newly promoted teams and and you can understand why I feel like they're the team of the three that are going to embrace progressive football but I've watched Norwich many a time come up and get absolutely trounced because of it so we'll see how they execute it um, but there's a lot of exciting players in there I do also think they'll probably have an injury epidemic around February so bookmark this uh, because I'm not sure how sustainable some of the intensity is long-term. But hey, they're young. We'll see other teams press aggressively from the front. Um, but I think they also maybe look after the ball more when they do get it, which uh, gives you a respite period. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, but they look, they, they put in a shift against City and... To, in fairness to them, they had moments where they where they won it high and and carved quick, direct chances. And um, had they had a bit more maybe experience or attacking now, so they could have capitalised. So I, I was pretty impressed, to be quite honest. Yeah, and uh, City were very clinical. You have to say as well, like those those Holland goals that he scored were like kind of like 
can't really have many complaints about them, I think. Uh, especially the second one. The robot was pretty robotic, you know. All all His latest software feature was firing on all cylinders. That second goal was pretty ridiculous. Yeah. And it was kind of one of those where it's like, well, what are we meant to do? Well, the only negative really for City was De Bruyne coming off injured. I was quite surprised he started, really. Unnecessary, I guess. He had 25 minutes in the Community Shield. Okay, so he got some minutes, and then he got thrown... I mean, I just didn't think he really probably needed to start first game of the season against Burnley when he had came off... He had come off injured in the Champions League final, knew he would require surgery, had surgery, and then he's playing the first game of the season. It just seemed a bit odd bit of an odd way to treat your sort of 32 year old talisman especially when you've sold players like Gundogan and and Mares uh, I'm not I'm not describing them as like for likes but when you look at the service direct service to Holland he is that avenue to sort of generate those chances uh okay uh so Arsenal beat Nottingham Forest 2-1 uh you didn't watch this, did you? What did you? Well, I was. I watched this sort of forty minutes onwards, I think, because the lionesses were on, mate. I'm afraid, and uh, I was with the missus, and she's got lioness fever, so oh. as she should. Get well soon, or not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's hoping she never recovers from it, and it's contagious, right? Anyway. <laughs> so yeah, I, I found the Arsenal game was a bit similar to the, the City game. Uh, in the Arsenal were like crazily clinical uh, with the two goals um, maybe like slight shades of last season where Arsenal are really comfortable in, in matches and then somehow it slips a little bit um, I mean Arsenal were incredibly dominant in the whole game I think at one point I saw Nottingham Forest had like 17% possession and that was in the second half uh so um yeah arsenal were good knowing forest were like really really defensive and then uh they're playing like the 4-5-1 and then it changed and they took uh brennan johnson off uh and switched it to sort of like almost a two up top where it was uh alanga and taiwo Ta- incredibly quick and very effective on the break so um I, th- I thought it was a good performance from Forrest as well like defensively so I where did I put them in the predictions like 14th or something um I'm feeling all right so far yeah fair enough I think uh well just quickly on Forrest actually if you think about it they've got quite a few attacking options there and they could be kind of f- flexible in the sense that they could hit teams on the break away from home with your sort of, or with your uh Brennan Johnson's, your Langers, your Awanis, but also there's a real potential to have quite a lethal front three in a mixture of Gibbs White. Uh, you know, you have Gibbs White as that sort of false nine role with Alanga and Brennan Johnson either side as these really direct, quick wingers. You could have Awani, um with those two wingers either side. You could have Gibbs White, Awani, and just one of them. There's there's a nice there's a nice look about and sort of. Uh, um, balance to that potential front line I feel um yeah which could which could help them well stay up hopefully for them but 
who knows, maybe even kick on a little bit into the mid-table. Um, we just don't know. It's very early. On on Arsenal, quickly, uh, I did... So I did get up and leave the table where I was watching the Lionesses uh, in the first five minutes to just get an idea of what on earth Thomas Partey was doing. Um, so I did start standing over some old dear's table at like 1pm in O'Neill's in Cardiff while I tried to work out if he was playing as a right back or a defensive midfielder or a little bit of both which is kind of what I settled on and then strolled back around the corner to the uh, World Cup um, quarterfinal I think it was yeah so um, yeah I mean what did you make of Rice and Partey in there together I was memeing it at the start of the season saying who's Arteta is he Gareth Southgate playing Rice, Partey and like a back four of centre-backs? But uh, no, it turns out he's just a madman who's going to play a Partey at right back inverting into midfield. Right? Or am I wrong? Uh, yes, you're you're right, it seems. It, we'll see how long this lasts uh, based on the developments in defence that we've had because uh, Zinchenko was not fit and now Jurian Timbers got injured for seven months it seems like which is obviously terrible for him and really disappointing as Arsenal fans because he was so good in the community shield um yeah so there's a lot of question marks about how the defense will be um but in terms of this game um they were quite critical of party on match today I saw actually because of um defensively how much space was being left behind him um, but I actually thought on the ball, Partey was one of the best players for, for Arsenal in, in the game. Also, that's a tactical manager's decision. It's like when we leave Trent high up the pitch or bring Trent inside. It's the same. Uh, the, the space is exposed, but the coach is asking them to expose that space to then be able to have superiority elsewhere. Like, it's a conscious decision. So I don't think it's really on him unless he was just horrible at defending 1v1 duels or just not reading the space well. Or I suppose just not getting in quick enough. Um, but I do feel like that's a little bit harsh to go at him there. Um, what I would quickly say as well is I feel like it probably depends. I mean, look, it, let's say Timber was still fit. I think it would depend on who you're playing and where you're playing them. If you're going to have that party rice pivot and just throw it the back, you're probably going to do it against a team like Palace who are going to sit in in pretty low block and, and then try and break on you um, rather than against other teams. But then you wouldn't want like Zinchenko in there as well. Uh, that would be like all, all the inverting, that would be too much. Um, but also Rice was playing a lot more uh, attacking than I expected as well. Uh, he was getting into sort of that position like just inside the box quite a lot. Um couple of chances as well and and you laughed at me when i said he's not granite shaka but this is what i mean uh, this is what i mean if you if you have him in and around the box far more maybe he's going to prove me wrong and maybe he's fantastic but i'm not sure he's really got the technical ability to start linking too much around the box but maybe i'm wrong and maybe he was great and i just didn't see it we'll see i i feel like he's going to get sort of five goals this season that kind of that kind of target um, I thought he was pretty good, uh, and then we had uh, Harvards in like a very, a very free role, who uh, 
was a bit quiet on the ball, but um, very, very, very active defensively. Uh, in quite an important way, I thought, which uh, went under a lot of people's radar. Okay, some clear uh, hopium for you there, but hey, very nice. Surprising to see Enketia start. He scored, obviously, so it's all good. Um, but it is it is so weird with uh, Trossard, like how good he is off the bench and then how little he starts. Um, and Arteta has spoken about this in that uh, Enketia's stats are a lot better when he starts. I think he's got like nine goals in his last 18 starts but no goals in like 20 sub appearances or something like that uh whereas trossard is very effective in very few minutes uh like his goal involvements per 90 are, are really good um so yeah it's a weird one i would think trossard would start but there's clearly this um idea to uh not do that and have the kind of super sub situation uh, one to watch. I did say I did sort of make a comment at the pub and said like two hundred million spent and and Ketty is starting the season up front. That's kind of a little bit hilarious, but I, it's not that I don't I don't rate him as a as a player. I think he's I think he's okay. I think he's good. I think he gets by. But um, it's just funny that all the players signed and all the options and and he's st- starting game one of the season. Yeah, another Jesus injury. Uh, you might remember two seasons ago when Arsenal started with uh, following Balogun up front against Brentford. How about that? Uh, and, uh, I was just going to say Matt Turner is a, a great goalkeeper and he'll he'll be good for Forest. Really good. Matty Turner. <laughs> yeah. There's a Matty th- Turner. There's I a th- like saying his name in the American accent. Yeah, good. But Matty Turner couldn't keep out uh, Eddie and Ketia. I didn't do the rest of it. Thanks. It was harsh though, it was a deflected, deflected goal. And then he can't do much about Sackers, can he? The absolute strike. Um, Bournemouth 1, West Ham 1. Bournemouth are my team to watch this season. And had, I think they were third in the weekend for uh, pressures per def- defensive action. Uh, and third for some other lots of running and high pressing stats. So Andoni Iraola uh, is already starting to get his uh, print on the team, although I do believe they've got a few injuries from the players that kind of transformed them a little bit last season. So he might be fighting with one hand tied behind his back a little bit. Can you tie one hand behind your back, actually? What would you tie it to? Uh, West Ham missed out on Maguire. Have you heard? Yeah, there was a lot of uh, Maguire defenders coming out of the the woodwork in the last week. Yeah, and then he decided to stay at United, so I guess they all gonna they're all gonna go back into the woodwork, worming away back um, into the the dirt. J- JWP's been signed though, along with Edson Alvarez. I think a nice little midfield could potentially be cooked up there. I mean, nice um, if if David Moyes wasn't the chef. I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't call it nice exactly, but it's probably functional well i think it wouldn't be nice which is probably why for west ham it would, yes could, could maybe be nice it's not exactly like chevy and yester bush gets but it's uh no no and i think edson alvarez is kind of seen as the one ajax player who's not an ajax player you know <laughs> oh right i see i think he's like a proper defensive midfielder he um, got there by mistake if west ham made ajax midfielders 
I think they'd make Edson Alvarez, but we'll see. Um, and then also, uh, I, I read today, in fact, that personal terms agreed with Mohamed Kudus, who is a fantastic player who Brighton were trying to get their hands on and couldn't, interestingly. Um, anyway, so there's a little bit about those two. Brighton 4, Luton 1. I think Luton might struggle, is what I took away from that game. Yeah, well, I was thinking we both put Luton to come 19th and uh, watching the highlights of this because it was a, a 3pm fixture. Uh, yeah, they looked bad, didn't they? Sam set, making sure he's in line with the law there. They looked bad on the highlights. They did look bad. They looked amateurish <laughs> at certain times, like yeah, just the mistakes and very open. And um... Yeah, and look, there'll be easier games than Brighton away, but uh, there's not that many easy games anyway so it'll be tough. Can, can I just talk about Evan Ferguson actually because I think Evan Ferguson has suddenly got like a ridiculous amount of hype for him and I think he is brilliant and he is 18 and he will be good but like it just seems like overnight maybe because of the transfer window and Brighton getting all this money for literally anyone they're brilliant players obviously but with Brighton's ability to sell everyone is talking about Evan Ferguson being like an 80 million pound player and he got like uh, PFA no he got into yeah into a young player of the season Premier League award nominee and like from 10 starts and it's crazy like the the but yeah but, yeah, but you know what it is Evan Ferguson has shown that he could potentially do everything without actually having done anything of real note yet You've seen glimpses of him being able to do everything as a striker. Run the channels, hold the ball up, finish on the turn, like, kind of link well. But also at the same time, he's not actually, like, done anything over a sustained period of time. Because he's not had the time, because he's 18 years old, don't get me wrong. But, yeah, the hype train is at full speed when the reality is we probably should all calm down a bit. So there could be a hell of a player there. And I think everyone can kind of see that. Let's, uh, let's give the lad a chance. Uh, and also, um, Danny Welbeck started over him, so let's take it one step at a time. Not everyone can unsettle Danny Welbeck in the starting 11 immediately. You're damn right. Fulham won against Everton, even though Everton had lots of shots without scoring. I saw uh, Mopai uh, had like 1.38 XG, is what I saw in one stat. Uh, didn't score obviously he belongs in your FM team yeah uh, well that's an outdated reference Toby because we're a, a, an adequate functional team now okay I think Everton will be fine good good defence Fulham scored from the first shot on target well can I just say quickly uh, Fulham fan J season ticket holder Fulham fan J uh, F- FPL team is craving a win very nice Craven Cottage anyway explained far too much of that uh, he said it was daylight robbery from his uh, mighty whites sounds a bit dodgy sounds like his underwear <laughs> sounds like an organisation that I don't want to be a part of <laughs> um, but yeah he said it was daylight robbery um, which is I don't know is that good for Everton or is it just yeah, the yeah, problem yeah, we it's... knew they had they still have so they're going to be and fine. they're still just buying wingers <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna be fine trust me trust trust the process i really am impressed by their appetite for wingers um you it would be lovely if, 
Dominic Calvert-Lewin could be fit to head in all of these crosses because, boy, could there be a lot of crosses coming for him. Uh, but at the moment, he's not fit. So they're just crossing it for the keeper to catch it, right? Is that what happened for 90 minutes? Sure. The fourth lowest net spend in the last five years, Everton, I believe. Uh, I'm not sure that's true because I think they were being chased by F, uh, FFP not long ago. No, but I think that I think that's why. FFP is oh, sh- okay. I think that's why. Sheffield United, Sheffield Martin, uh, zero at Crystal Palace Juan. See any of this? No. <laughs> On to the next. Newcastle 5, Aston Villa 1. This game was, was crazy. The, that was the fun one, right? This game. Saturday. There was uh there was a lot of end to end action in this one. And uh Emery persisted with a very high line for Villa, which um was quite a bold strategy when you've got Anthony Gordon running down, who who I thought was good. I know he gets a lot of hate. I thought he had a good game. Uh you know, Isaac and Gordon just sort of running in miles and miles of space and then when it hit like sixty five minutes or something take those two off, bring on Harvey Barnes and Callum Wilson, and you've got fresh legs doing exactly the same, but even more effectively. My hot take on this, and, and I look, I've, I've been calling Sandro Tonali dross all summer, and he just scored in about the fourth minute. So I've found, I got out all of my hats on Sunday morning and started eating them. Uh, but anyway, more importantly than my appetite for hats is... I my hot take on this is that Villa aren't significantly worse than Newcastle and will still Europe dependent on on what happens to both of those teams and if it takes their toll on either of them you know it's a bit of a unknown variable so it's hard to say but I reckon they'll still finish around similar positions I reckon Newcastle might have just sort of I think it could be one of those games where it looks really bad but actually they're just scoring every time they're through or they're getting through a lot or, or like Villa are persisting with a, a high line with no pressure on the ball and it's not only a catastrophe but also it's a catastrophe that's like playing into the hands of Newcastle and their forward line and it's like super effective. So my hot take is kind of that it'll all be fine and it'll all even out and it's just that maybe Newcastle were Villa's kryptonite for this one-off game but on the grand scheme of things they won't be too far apart for the season or Villa are getting relegated yeah yeah I mean Emery's second season was when he dropped off at Arsenal obviously I'm I'm not saying that will happen but it's, it's something to watch because you know we've got one game to go off and it's crazy but Newcastle were were tearing them apart and like Diaby looked good for Villa uh, the new signing uh, scored I, I thought that Villa um, the rest of the Villa players weren't quite on his wavelength sometimes and they could have found Diaby more often so um, in time like Villa can be hopefully more effective direct as well and that's something that Watkins is, is great at too um, so yeah there's, there's something there I don't know if Emery will persist with this Highlight all the time. I I know it's kind of like a bit of an old man thing to to criticize, but it was absolutely. Yeah, it's a bit yada. It was absolutely torn apart, and there is a point where it's like, 
why don't you just drop the line in the game? Like, it was so obvious what was going to happen, and it, it did. Like, with Newcastle bringing on the subs as well. Uh, it, it was yeah, crazy. I think there's an interesting blend between uh, principles and strategy and um, separating the two out, you know? You should never change your principles, um, but sometimes you should maybe change your strategy. There was a Mings injury, which won't help at all as well, and Pau Torres came on and was uh, not great. Uh, well, looked... I don't reckon he speaks any speaks any English yet, so... Uh, uh, yeah, what? No, I don't have an, in- an inside scoop on that. I just mean he joined very recently. Okay, but you can talk to Emery. They're friends. Yeah, but I don't think Emery's a centre-back partner. I see. I don't know who it was. It was Cancer. He's a good player, but not, not sure if he speaks Spanish. N- n- he's not Spanish, no. No, but he might speak some Spanish. He might be on Duolingo in the evening. I don't know. There's a lot of lot of travelling as a football player, isn't there? I'll Google it. Um, okay. That's great. <laughs> move on. Brentford 2, Tottenham Hotspurs. The caneless Tottenham Hotspurs 2, Sam. This was a fun game. I think Spurs are going to play a lot of fun games. Well, yeah. I mean, I won't find them very fun, probably, unless they're getting getting owned, getting murdered. Unless they're getting mauled by the Tigers. Who are the Tigers? I mean, Hull oh. aren't in the league, so they won't get mauled by the Tigers. But they might draw them in the FA Cup or the League Cup. Um, yeah, no, Spurs were quite fun. Everything went through Madison. He got two assists, but the second one was a was like a this is why assists aren't a thing kind of assist um and you know what big up big ups of the week which is the new feature we're going to start doing big ups of the week go to uh papa Ange postacoglu because brought off romero because of the head injury filled the slips in wrong so he didn't get to uh use a concussion substitution but hey that's not what's important the important thing is he is the well-being of his players and uh Romero didn't want to come off but he said look that's not the person you listen to in this situation and he brought off uh Christian Romero which is good and it's good to see concussions being taken seriously in the Premier League something uh okay you didn't watch the game I'll tell you what I noticed from the game I noticed Emerson Royale inverting and then Oliver Skip going outside of him. So if you like got them all to line up and hold hands, you'd have Basuma Central to his right Emerson Royale, and the next player over over in like the next channel, Oliver Skip, and the next player over hugging the touchline, Kulisevsky, which cool, sure, whatever, that's great, and Emerson Royale does absolutely smash one in the bottom corner. But just logically I'm not saying they couldn't be good interchanging in those areas between like a three of Emerson Royale, Skip and Kulisevsky. But personally, I think I'd rather your Kulisevsky and Sons closer to the goal instead of having Oliver Skip closer to the goal. Um, and Udogi had a good game. He looks he looks good. And Basuma looked very good actually as well. Basuma and Madison was a nice little way of building up possession and and being able to kind of unlock the door. I think, um, yeah, Spurs were Spurs will be fun. Spurs will be fun because they'll be attacking and they won't really care too much that they're going to concede a lot of goals. Brentford looked good. 
but it was hard to work out if they looked good because Spurs were wide open or not. Okay. One thing I noticed is that Spurs have the uh, the worst group of first names in the defenders. Do you agree? It was uh, it was Mickey, Destiny, Christian, and uh, I guess Royale uh, or Everson. What's it? I don't know. He's fine. Royale. Was not... Yeah. If you put them together, you've kind of got Royal Mickey and. Destiny Christian or Christian, Christian Destiny. But individually, they're all just a bit too nuts and then it's just Mickey. You sound like Twilight characters or something. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Also, the Keeper, mm, I'm not sure. Oh, really? That's cool because I said that last week. He gave me like, he gave me like Meslier vibes or Melier, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but also well, it's not the best thing. He was pretty pretty poor on the old uh, post-shot XG, which means he's letting in goals. Melier. Yeah, but I'm not really talking in that sense, because I've got a one-game sample size that he let in two goals and one was deflected. But he doesn't look very strong or confident, is that what you mean? Yeah, he just looks young, you know? And that's it, fine. If you're young. If you're young. Is he young? It's 28, I think. No, he can't be. 26. Turning 27. Maybe he just has the same hair as Melier, but you know that look when he's just had like a howler and he's like looking at his defence and they're not even looking at him because it's like, I just, I just felt those vibes. But anyway, uh, we'll see. We'll see. He, he was, he was always looking to play out. So he was brave in that sense. Brentford are going to be well drilled in squeezing up and, and winning that ball back. And they were. So, and it's always going to be tough to do that. You know, if you're struggling to do it against Brentford no disrespect to Brentford but there are other teams that you will then struggle to do it against and if you're very persistent in your methods which is great uh, but it could cause you some problems and then on to the uh, the jewel Sam the gem of the week and the the big one as they say right Chelsea Liverpool um, it was a fantastic game and we had a very attacking team. Um, and I'm coming out of it, you know, not like confident, but positive. You know, um, there were lots of good things to see. There were a lot of good attacking patterns. We got carved open a bit too often, a few too many times. But that's kind of going to happen when you don't have a defensive midfielder. And we still look pretty competent despite that. So I also come out of it along with everyone else, absolutely waxing lyrical about uh, Enzo Fernandez and what a midfield Chelsea are going to have um, at their disposal, at their disposal with uh, Caicedo, Lavia, Enzo. Um, yeah. Conor Gallagher. Uh, well, I wasn't really going to throw him in with them, but yeah, Conor Gallagher. He had a good game, Conor Gallagher. He had a very sticky first 20 minutes where he was the trigger, basically, um, to press the ball, and he lost it fairly regularly to Dominic Soboslai. But, all into the game, he was resilient, and he won the ball back well, like, after the, like, the first 25 minutes where Liverpool were pretty dominant. I think if Liverpool go and score the second, where Salah's just slightly offside, I think I think we kind of cruise. Um but it wasn't to be. They also had a goal disallowed for offside. And I think in the grand scheme of things, 
a point each was pretty fair and I think both teams would take it. I think we've got to wait to Stamford Bridge and taken a point first game of the season and I think they'll think we finished 12th last year, we've drawn to Liverpool at home to kick things off and there was a lot of promising signs. What uh, what happened with Mo Salah in this game? Because quite a lot happened from what I heard. And is it going to be a good season for him? I think it will be a good season for him. Uh, I think it depends what you're, how you're judging his season. I think if you're looking at purely goals as an output, then by his standards, it won't necessarily be, I don't know, the greatest. It could, it could be. Um, but I would assume it wouldn't be purely because of how high the bar was before from a front three that just really clicked and fed him. I think there are more factors at play in this team, but the first 25 minutes he gave Colwell real, real problems. He creates the first really well. He runs through... I mean, I mean, realistically, if his shoulder is a centimetre more on side, he still goes through and scores the goal. He didn't really gain advantage of it. I understand that the rule is the rule. I'm not trying to change things or saying, oh, it should count anyway. But I just mean the slightest of margins meant that he didn't come away from that game with a goal and assist, breaking the record for most goals on opening weekends. We're all talking, we're all desperate to get him into our FPL teams and we're all panicking that we've got to free up the money to get him in. I think he could have a very, very good season. I think he probably will have a very, very good season. Partly down to the calibre of player he is, partly down to the creativity we now have in midfield. He comes off, he starts ripping up his wristband and is strapping and throwing it off. Look, he's somebody who wants to chase records. He was on the brink of getting a record. He didn't get a record and he's never going to be able to get that record again because he's got a score in like the past six or seven opening weekends and I can't see him playing into his late 30s um, and starting that again to now do that Um, so he's probably frustrated by that he also came off for a 17 year old which is probably a little bit of a kick in the teeth away at Stamford Bridge but ultimately it'll be fine I don't think I don't think there's too many issues there and viva la bendoke anyway uh uh Okay. <laughs> is it Doak? Is that... I thought it was Dirk. Well, he's Scottish, so I suppose it's Dirk. But, I mean, I'm not going to pronounce all... I'm not going to say Robertson either, you know? So it's just Ben Doak, isn't it? Uh, I just wanted to know if I should captain uh, Salah on that fantasy Premier League this week. Um, Yes, do it. All right. Definitely do it, actually. Definitely do it. I think he looks good, and I think Soboschlei behind him is a far more robust right centre midfielder than Harvey Elliott. Harvey Elliott has fantastic technical qualities, has an aptitude for counter-pressing and being very reactive in the moment to go and win the ball back, but he doesn't have the physical presence that Dominic Soboschlei has. Uh, Soboschlei won the... Or no, he didn't win it. Salah won it but came second in the lactate test. The boy can run, the boy's over six foot, and he can put a challenge in whilst also having good technical ability. I think having him on the right centre midfield role 
alongside that inside of Salah will also benefit Salah because he's someone who's going to bust a gut to go beyond uh, a midfielder or a defender and drag someone away from Salah's position to create 2v1s to create 1v1s um, so yeah I think it's exciting Sam I'm, I'm, ex- I'm feeling excited to be a Liverpool fan and look I should do every year we're a fantastic team Quick, quickly on Chelsea yeah. uh, Nicholas Jackson will I don't know how many goals he'll score but he will cause defenders issues he's a handful he keeps running he keeps moving he keeps uh, anticipating balls through he keeps looking to move on to, to run in behind for that ball through um Seems like a, a good striker, a real player. Um, and Chelsea just have so many options. If they can keep James and Chilwell fit, which I think they've already failed at, but if they could... James is out for the weekend already, by the way. He's having a scan, I think. Yeah, I heard something about a hamstring. Yeah, if they could keep those two fit, my God, they've got a hell of a team because that back three of... Um, Colwell, Thiago Silva and Dezazi was very composed on the ball if they did get rushed they could go back to Sanchez who look for clearly the Zerbi didn't rate him but he was comfortable with the ball coming back to his feet to recycle possession and kind of break that bit of pressure and he basically got a diamond of four with those centre-backs and keeper to be able to break any bit of a press that comes against you whilst having bombing on wing-backs a solid midfield with creativity in there as well and uh, lively forwards so there's a real recipe there and Poch is a serious manager so unfortunately they are going to be good I think um, especially with the people they're bringing in like Kaiseido but uh, yeah all, all in all I'm, I'm happy with the point away at Stamford Bridge because I think it's going to be a difficult place to go this season the only thing I think is weird is that I th- I thought Kepper was really, really good last season. Now they've got a keeper that wasn't as good as Kepper last season um, in the same league. Yeah, but I th- I reckon they knew that Real Madrid... Well, I know it was the Courtois injury, so I don't know how they knew, but I think they... Obviously, they didn't know Courtois would get injured, and I think they'd already signed Sanchez well, before he did. But I think the idea was to have them both there because Mendy had gone. But then I think Kepa's head was pretty firmly turned. As soon as Real Madrid... And you're Spanish. And Real Madrid come and take you on a season-long loan and you've got a chance to prove yourself at the top. I think you're probably going to take it. Okay. You don't think like John Terry or someone went out and uh, gave a bit of a knock to Courtois? No, I don't think Chelsea intentionally sent Kepa there. It was an inside job. That would be ludicrous. It would be one of Kepa's entourage who went and purposely injured Courtois shortly. Right? Allegedly. Allegedly, this happened. Yeah. Ariza Balaga Senior went out and uh, Allegedly. waited for Courtois in the Bernabeu car parks. Allegedly went out. Allegedly. Allegedly. Alleg- Allegedly. That's what I've heard. That's what my sources have told me. Oh uh, yeah, your ITK. Uh, My ITK has told me that Kepa's arranged a few things. Okay, well, the last game was the most controversial. It was uh, Man United getting through against Wolves, winning winning one 0 at home. Uh, Scraping through, they were shocking, Sam. They were absolutely shocking. I don't watch football on Mondays unless it's Arsenal, which it is this week. Um, with, is with that a blanket rule? Uh, or sure. 
Is it like a 3pm blackout? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I black out on Monday evenings. Um, so I put Wolves in the relegation zone in our predictions last week. How's that looking? Wolves sound were fantastic. They were well drilled in a sort of 4-4-2. They played... Uh, yeah, they were really well drilled, but they were talented on the ball. When they kept it, they looked after it. Um... I was really impressed and I don't know how, look, it's a small sample size. How much of that was United being bad? How much of that was Wolves being good? It's tough to tell. What I would say, a couple of things stood out at me. First thing is if Wolves could put the ball in the back of the net, they'd be absolutely fine. But clearly that will still be a struggle again this season. So I don't think your relegation prediction is way off. But if they do go down... It will be cruel because there'll be a lot of games where they perform well and are fun to watch, but just can't get enough wins. I'd like to think they've got too much quality to go down, but goals win your games and they struggle to score any. There's a lot on uh, Kaladzic really, isn't there, to see how he comes how he comes back after his ACL. Um... Yeah, and essentially it looked like they just stuck Thomas Suchek up front uh, when he came on for the end of the game. But anyway... Maybe I was being harsh. Very small squad for Wolves as well, I think. I don't think there's a lot yeah. of depth. Uh, just a bit more on Wolves as well. Uh, Mateus Nunes, fantastic running with the ball. They had they had so many good ball carriers. They kind of played rugby, but not in the physical sense. In like the, you know, rugby, you kind of break from the line and just run forwards and have to run and then pass backwards. It was kind of like that, but with dribbling. Like Mateus Cunha would sort of accidentally beat four men through the spine of United's team and find himself on the edge of the box with like a centre-back in front of him looking around for like someone he can offload it to. Um, or Pedro Neto would burst down the wing and beat a couple of man of men and then um, kind of look around for a cutback for, for someone to just put it straight at Anana. It was that kind of display. Um, but I loved it. And also... Power to Gary O'Neill. He they didn't even really sit back. They did squeeze the ball quite high. Um, Anana, right? Anana loves to have the ball at his feet, and I think that's great. And I completely understand the benefits of inviting, like baiting the press and then playing through it. But if you're Marcus Rashford playing down the middle, I can't help but think you'd be a little bit infuriated that your keeper's just holding onto the ball holding on to the ball, drawing in players, playing sideways, getting it back, holding on to it. It's like it's like having your like ball playing deep lying centre mid who just wants touches and and gives it out and has it back and gives it out and has it back. But it's your keeper. And if you're a striker, I just I just feel like you'd be tearing your hair out. Cause although I'm not I'm not saying his range of pass isn't good and, and that he can't provide service, but in terms of regular frequent service you're not like it took Rashford I want to say like 10 minutes that seems very high but it, it the commentators were commentate were, were commenting which is what they get paid to do but specifically on how Rashford hadn't had a touch of the ball yet and it went it was quite a decent chunk of minutes into it before he got one and they had the ball a lot but it was with their keeper or their defence baiting presses circulating it and it was a little bit 
But I suppose it might be different when Hoyland is uh, is fit, right? It might benefit Hoyland more. Yeah, well, I think it would benefit Rashford a lot more having that kind of striker to to link with, to occupy centre-backs, to then sort of break into that space. Um, but I think as a forward line as a whole, I don't know, I just think... I just think you're at Old Trafford and, and your keeper's holding onto the ball a lot and seeing a lot of the ball. It's, I'd, it, it didn't quite sit right with me. Maybe I was being a little bit too critical, though, um, because that is kind of what he's been brought in to do anyway. But I just think there are obvious positive knock-on effects if you can then play through a press that's squeezed up right to the keeper. But also, um, you don't want to starve your forward line either. And you want them to be involved in the game. Not waiting for 20 minutes to have a really good chance. But, you know, they've gone cold and they're not involved uh, by that point when it comes and they miss. So this game was on Monday. It's, uh, I think everyone's calmed down a little bit since then. Uh, if we were going to do this when we normally do it on Tuesday, I think it would have been quite a different situation. Uh, because there's quite a controversial, outrageous decision um, of no penalty against Onana. Uh, right at the end, it was like 90 plus 6 or something, wasn't it? Um, it's a scandal, Sam. It's a national scandal. <coughs> yeah? You you think something needs to be done about it? I believe that strongly about it. I might join you on never watching Monday Night Football again. Well, uh, what? tell us what happens. It's time we fought the corporate machine, Sam. I want answers. Well, okay... Enough of the messing around. He, he just comes out and clatters um, uh, Suchek up front. What's he called? Kalajic. I understand that as a keeper coming out for a cross, you have to go, you have no options but to go body and face first with arms outstretched. But I don't think you should be allowed to completely miss the ball and just like essentially kind of headbutt the, the striker in the chin. Um... I was surprised they didn't even look at it. I get that maybe it's not clear and obvious in a sense of it impacting the game, but I just think I just thought we'd learn our lessons from when Pickford did Van Dyke's ACL, and they were just like, "Well, oh, there's nothing wrong with that because the ball had kind of gone past Van Dyke slightly, and it's like, well, the guy's been absolutely chopped in half." Um, and likewise with this, I mean. Kalajic gets the header off that kind of goes upwards and away, but then just gets absolutely That's not smashed. what happened. Is it not what happened? Did the no, player behind him win the header then? Craig Dawson won the header, and um, I, I, in my opinion, the referee viewed Kalajic as being like a blocker. Um, I think the referee read it wrong and thought that Kalajic was more of like a 50-50 kind of... Uh, trying to protect Dawson and getting in the way of Anana a little bit. Uh, that's not really what happened. Uh, Anana was pretty wild. Yeah, he just came and took everything. And I get that as a keeper, there are times when you want to come and take everything, but make sure you include the ball in that everything. Uh, then then you can kind of do what you want. And I think you get away with a lot as a keeper because when you come and take the ball, you have to take everything with you. And I understand that. But I think then we have to be quite critical of keepers making poor decisions when they're not going to come when they're not getting the ball and still taking everything but the ball. I think we have to kind of. I'm not saying we need some big 
national crackdown on it, but it'd be nice if there were some repercussions for a keeper misjudging something. Um, I get that he can't control his body once he's already taken off and and, and is, is flying out to it, but you've got to get it right. And if you don't get it right, there should be some, some consequences to it. And I think also, you know, this, this is huge. This is... This is the difference between United scraping through, picking up three points and being able to go and build and and, um, and it being a good like, or a mentality test for the team and oh, they didn't play well, but they came through it to the new keeper, the new, the new star signing who's going to come in and transform uh, this team because he's not David De Gea and can use his feet having an absolutely calamitous error, which is what he had, and being penalised for it, and Wolves being a fantastic team, getting what they deserved uh, in the game. Um, so I was really, really frustrated, but then I am a Liverpool fan, so maybe I should remove myself from the situation a bit. But I was I was, I was, was furious, Sam. I was furious, because not to mention the FPL repercussions, right? I didn't have an order in, everyone else did. Yeah, I've got Livid. an order. Um, yeah, where are my nine points? Where are my nine points? The reaction to it at the time was just everyone was saying it was the worst decision they've seen. I think for me it was um, seeing the reaction and then seeing the instant. It was like, well, this doesn't really surprise me that much because I've I've seen it before. To be honest, the the protection that goalkeepers get is uh, this does happen sometimes and it shouldn't, um, but. Yeah, maybe this will be the one where they start thinking about changing it, but it, it just seems like every year there's some crazy, crazy decisions from the referees that they have to try and tweak in the middle of the season, and then it goes all out of control. We'll 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 talk soon about the um the new refereeing rules for this season because I'm getting the feeling that it's more uh over tweaking and uh, trying too hard to do the right thing, maybe. Um, with how yes, referees uh, are approaching the uh, Let's just season. say we don't need to talk about it now, but I'm sure there'll be plenty of um, additional evidence in, in the case that we'll yes. build over the next few weeks. That's exactly what we've got to do. We've got to give them the benefit of the doubt, and we don't want to make make our case too soon. We want to, we want to give them a chance. We want to... Uh, See if it gets any better. See if oh maybe we were wrong. Maybe the referees are doing something really good and helping everyone this year. When you coach kids football, you if they make an error on the like the first error they make, you should let it go. Is is what I was always taught. That's not to say that you just let them, you know, be terrible or whatever. But if they have a slight mistake on the, on their touch or whatever, you don't jump on them and start saying, oh, control it like this and like trying to help immediately. Just give them their own chance to just see that that was a one-off and that it went wrong. And okay, yeah, I'll, I'll just take a bit more care over the next touch that next time it comes into me. And if they do it wrong again, then you can get involved and start saying, you know, just give a bit of guidance and a bit of guided discovery. But uh, you don't need to jump all over the first one because that's quite annoying, you know? But uh, so yeah, we'll we'll give him this one. Although I'm fuming, Sam, I'm fuming. But we'll give him this one. But next time, I'm on their case. And that's the same approach I have to running this podcast as well. 
<laughs> I think that's about all we, we've got for this week because uh, we spoke about literally every game, basically, apart from Sheffield yeah. United. Sorry to Sheffield uh, United and the team that they played, which was Crystal You know Palace. what? I'm going to make a point to make sure that I watch them this weekend. I don't think you can. I probably can't. But I do have the flat to myself, so I could, I could go nuts, Sam. I could go nuts on the multiple monitors. It's the Friday game that's not broadcast. Friday night, and it's not a Friday night game. Isn't it just because the cricket's on? What? Cricket? There's cricket at Trent Bridge, which is in Nottingham. And so they've no. moved the game to the Friday because of that. Look at this, I'm a source of knowledge. So they've moved the game to the Friday because of that, but it's not like a Friday night football kind of oh thing. Oh my God. It's just... What? Okay. Are you no, fact-checking just... me and finding out that I'm right? No, I'm not fact-checking you. I believe you. I'm I'm blown away. What a what a great bit of insight. And maybe uh, maybe let's talk about cricket more this Honestly, year. Honestly, I went to the hundred last weekend and it was fantastic. What what is that? Is that important? Okay, we'll start a separate podcast for it. Um, who are the other team? Crystal Palace. They're playing Arsenal, aren't they? On the was Monday. that Monday? Yeah, I reckon. Uh, look, I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to watch both of those just to show that we care about all twenty teams in, in this podcast. Uh, I'll make a dedicated effort. I'll even yeah. break the law, Sam. Sheffield uh, United oh. fans, could you? No, no, no you Could you beat that out just so I can't get done? You're going to Nottingham tonight, aren't you? You're uh, you're I'm... going to Nottingham to watch the game this evening. Yes, yes, um, that's absolutely correct. I'm going to Nottingham. I'm going to try and find a stream in Nottingham. Uh, no, I'm joking. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of rivers in Nottingham. Oh, hey. Uh Yeah, lovely. <laughs> Good. Oh, we were going to hype up this weekend's games, actually, Sam. Well, we've already done it. Nottingham, Sheffield. <laughs> yeah, true. True. And uh, the other games don't need no introduction, do they? Hey, Spur- Spurs Man U will be a big uh, a big. Uh, hammer hitting a table uh, to make a noise. And then when your heart rates come <laughs> down from Spurs, Man U, ooh, Man City, Newcastle. Okay. What, hang on, Man City coming back from a mid- midweek trip to Athens where they played against Sevilla in the UEFA important, the, the Burnley versus Man City Cup. Okay. I'm excited. Ooh, Newcastle off the back of a 5-1 victory. Will we see the first big test of the season? I'm interested. There you go. Is that good? Yeah, great. And on the Sunday, we've got a real festival of football because something we haven't mentioned at all on this Premier League podcast. I don't want think people to think we're sexist. It's just that it's a Premier League podcast. But I'd like to end the podcast, Sam, with one thing. Come on, England. All right. Now can you fade in? It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming home. Everyone seems to know the score. There we go. Come on, England. Up the lionesses. Uh, thank you, Toby. Uh, we'll see you then. Thank you very much, Sam. And hopefully England have won a World Cup. Yes, the next time I see you, we'll be world champions. I wonder how much of uh, London is going to get trashed um, by this time next week. Yeah, I might just drive to yours if... Uh... Can I Kick stop over this a guy? few bins. We'll see <laughs> you, you next time. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>